Hi, and welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to build a life in alignment with your soul. I'm your host, Kitty Waters, serial entrepreneur and co-creator of the Network for Transformational Leaders. Each week, I interview top thought leaders that are changing the world. They share their life stories and tips on how to find your purpose, empowering you to create your own life. This podcast is sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. This eight-week online course, launching in May, demystifies the subject of Dharma and helps you tune in to why you're really here. Life is not meant to be hard, and when we get on our soul path, it all changes. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your dharma for more information. And without further ado, let's dive into the next episode. I've just had the pleasure of talking to Michael Neal. He's an internationally renowned transformation coach, best-selling author of six books, all by Hay House, Creating the Impossible, The Inside Out Revolution and The Space. Michael is usually described as like the coach's coach. He is really well respected in his field within human potential. And he spent 25 years as a coach, advisor, friend and mentor. He's worked with CEOs, royalty, celebrities, and his books have been translated into 18 languages. He's also got a radio show on Hay House Radio for over a decade. And the thing I love about Michael is we touch on it in the interview, but he is very much a believer in listening to his soul. And he actually wanted to call his first book I think it was something like listen to your soul or soul path was the, what he wanted to call it. And so he's very much an example of what we are talking about. He's somebody who's really listening to the whispers of his soul and he's created an amazing career because of it. So let's dive in. Hope you enjoy this interview. Please don't forget to give us a five star review on iTunes, but let's go. So hello and welcome to Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that empower you to create yours. And today I have with me a very special guest. He's an internationally renowned transformation coach, Michael Neal. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> and actually, it's not, it's not true. We actually have two guests today. So Michael has been very kind enough to join us. And we also have, we also have Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> so you can tilt your camera down. Oh, I don't know, Pepsi. You, you get in there. You get in there. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Very, uh, oh, yeah. A little, kind of an extreme close up there. But, uh, <laughs> and for those of you listening on audio, we have a puppy. We have a puppy in the pod, in the podcast house today. <laughs> the Michael, puppy cast. The puppy. Yes, exactly. But Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, he's also known as the super coach and he's author of six books and has over 25 years experience in this amazing industry so very excited to have you on to share your life story with kitty talks thank you for having me <laughs> so uh obviously i know you uh, as veteran i suppose would be a good description you know you are very well known industry 
super coach. Uh, and I would love for you to just take us back, if that's okay, because obviously we've been in this industry for a long time, well-respected. But one of the things our audience is really interested in is how you got into doing the work you're doing on the planet. So if it's okay, I'd love you to take us back a little bit and tell us how you transitioned into the work you're doing now. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's quite funny to, to go back far enough because as a kid, I wanted to either play football, be a sportscaster, or or maybe a lawyer because I liked arguing. Like, and, and astronaut was in there for a while too. Like, like you know, it was that that was the kind of range of things I thought I would I would do in my life. Then I uh, I started acting in uh, school. And that was, I, that worked well. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll, I'll be an actor. And, uh, and, 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 and while all that was going on, all of my plans and schemes, um, I, I got what, you know, I, I now know is depression at the time. I just thought I was, life sucked. Yeah. Um, and, and it went from about, God, 13 years old, and uh, it just got worse and worse. And I got, had all sorts of things that I look back on now and go, wow, I was really messed up. But I, I wasn't from a family where one talked about such things. I can relate to that. Um, you know, so it was just like, I just, this is life, you know, it kind of sucks, but oh, well. Uh, and and it, it came to a head when I was 19. I was at university and uh, I had an experience. I, I, I talk about it at, at length in my, my TEDx talk, but it, it it felt basically like I was being sucked out of a fourth floor window by a giant vacuum cleaner from hell yes. is the best way that I can put it. And I, I was hanging on to the wall to not go out the window. And uh, I, there was a phone and I, I called the suicide hotline and I got a busy signal. No. <laughs> uh, and I just thought that was hysterical. Like I, I thought short of lightning striking me in the room, that was the funniest thing that could happen. Wow. So that kind of popped me out of it, whatever Jolt. it was. Yeah. And 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 I a, a friend came and got me, and I spent the night with her, and 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 I woke up the next morning, and it dawned on me that even though I'd been thinking about killing myself for years at that point, I didn't want to kill myself. Wow. Like I didn't. I I honestly didn't know that. I assumed because I thought about it, that meant I wanted to do it. Yes. And I didn't understand thought is just something that happens in your head. It isn't you. Um, and, and that was a big moment for me mm. because it became, I'd still had the thought, but it just became the suicide thought. Like it stopped seeming like meaningful. It was just, oh, the suicide thought. And I got really interested in that mm. phenomenon. I'd had a few other experiences like that when I was younger where my perspective changed and the world looked different and I didn't know why. So I got into psychology and spirituality and studied everything. I've always been a voracious reader and student and sort of anything that would help, you know, create a visualization and meditation. And, and I finally in the eighties, late eighties was at drama school in London. And, uh, I, I came across this this book by Tony Robbins that, you know, I, it was more obscure in England than it was here, yeah. uh, called Unlimited Power. 
and I I read it and there was an exercise in chapter two where he said, find the volume knob for the voice in your head and turn it down. Now, I didn't know there was a volume knob for the voice in my head, but I, and I experienced a kind of a meditative peace of mind like I hadn't experienced in years. Now, in retrospect, looking back on it, that experience took me on an 18-year sidetrack. Okay. Because the book said, you know, we have a thousand techniques like that to control your mind. And I went, great. And I became an NLP practitioner. I became an NLP master practitioner. I became a trainer. I became a master trainer. I wound up being one of the leading trainers doing, you, you know, 600 plus people trainings in London with Dr. Richard Bandler and Paul McKenna, you know, wow. Richard great in the field. Yes. And all of that was happening. And I was working with clients. But I was basically just still a high functioning depressive. I mean, I was doing great in the world. I was okay. But I always knew that I was about two weeks away from going back into depression. That was sort of just, I figured out how to beat the, the broken or so I thought yeah and that was that was fine but it, it 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 bugged me slightly through all those years even though we helped a lot of people that we weren't the happiest people in every room mm. like given what we knew about the mind it struck me that anyone who did what we did should be super happy and rich and successful, like, like, why weren't we awesomer? Mm. And, you know, we weren't bad, but, you know, it was, we weren't special. And I thought we should be special given what we were doing. And then I, I, I had an epiphany and it was bizarre and unlooked for, but I was working, um, I was reading a book on relationships and I hate relationship books generally because they're always like, I always think, well, that might work great for the author, <laughs> but it doesn't strike me as like how I talk to my wife or anything like that. And, and I had just had an extraordinary experience of amnesia for my biggest, like Nina and I, we've been together forever, but we, we, we used to have what I call the annual argument. Okay. And once a year we would get into an argument about something and it almost yeah. didn't matter what it was like, Oh, it's the annual argument. And we were in the middle of it when I was reading this book. And then my friend who loaned me the book said, how are things? And I said, great. He said, how are things with Nina? And I said, great. And he said, what about the argument? And I said, what argument? <laughs> and it took him a couple of minutes to remind me that we'd been in the middle of the annual argument. Because something had happened when I read that book that changed it. And I didn't, like literally I had amnesia for it. I didn't remember. And it somehow impacted Nina as well. Because, you know, we she wasn't, as far as I could tell, arguing with me. Well, I just had to know everything about that. Yeah, and not. I went, and, and there was no real name to the field. They called it um, psychology of mind. And then some people called it health realization. And some people were calling it neocognitive psychology. And I was like, I don't know what this is. But I thought, cool, like, let's learn it. And I went up there to, to kind of basically, they kept telling me they had no techniques. It was just conversation. And I was like, I'll find the technique because that's my expertise. And, I'll, and if they really, do, I thought either genuinely, I thought 
either I haven't paid them enough to tell me what they do yet, yeah, sure. which is cool, like it's proprietary or whatever. I'm okay with that. Or maybe they don't know why what they do works, but my expertise and as an NLP modeler, I can yeah. take it apart and show them. And I went up there. My business partner was very excited because he knew I was going up there to, to get this new technology. And about two days into a four-day session, I just got it. I just got that. There was a, I was watching this guy, Sid Banks, who was behind this field, talk. And he said, every human being is sitting in the middle of mental health. They just don't know it. And somehow I heard that. Like, I, I heard that at a level where I absolutely knew in my soul that was true, that I had never been broken, that I was born happy, that I wasn't a depressive. I just thought I was. Like, I just thought all the time about it. Yeah. And that's pretty depressing. Yes. And it, I, I, I laughed. I was actually drinking a beer when it, this happened. And, and, like, beer came out of my nose. I laughed so hard. Because my entire adult life, the first 18 years of my adult life, had been devoted to overcoming depression, anxiety, stress, pressure, all of these things I thought I suffered from. And I'd been pretty successful at it, not seeing that they weren't me in the first place. They weren't who I was. They were things that were the fruits of thought in me. And do you think at that moment you had almost like a consciousness shift? You managed to sort of see it? Yes a different perspective and sort of yeah i think that's the only way i can explain it yeah um literally i just the elevator went up yeah um and it it never went back down it just it, it i suddenly was no longer a high functioning depressive i i was happy yeah I, i've not been happy since i was maybe six years old like and it never went away i mean i'm not saying i don't have bad days but i'm a happy guy who has bad days I'm not sliding back into any kind of a, a thing. And, and, and I went back to my business partner. He called me like as soon as I got back and he said, did you get it? Like, did you get the formula or whatever they do? <laughs> and I said to him, I said, I'm so sorry, dude. I drank the Kool-Aid. There's no formula. It's just if you see what's really going on, it changes everything. So for and people, it has. For people listening... So I'll see if I'm interpreting what you're saying correctly. At that moment, you chose to rise up and out of that busy thinking, of that depressed thinking. You actually then saw. Oh, no. Okay. There, there was no choice involved at all. I was drinking a beer, watching a video, waiting for it to be over so I could watch the baseball game. So it just popped. I heard truth. Uh, in the same way as when I was in that room and I got the busy signal from the suicide hotline, I saw something truer. I popped up the elevator. So yes, I had a shift in consciousness, but no, I didn't choose it. Almost there. And I don't, I don't think you can choose it. I think you can aim yourself in its direction. I think you can know that that is what will change things, and that orients you in a certain way. It gets you to look in a certain place. But you can't choose it. If you could choose it, we'd all be enlightened. So it was almost like an epiphany. Oh, it was a total epiphany. Mm. And I've had numerous ones since, though that was the biggie. 
And that you um, put that down to coming from the sort of super field or the higher level of coming from. I, I put that down to it being innate in human beings to have insight. Yeah. Like we're made to pop. Yeah. My, 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 um, I use the analogy of popcorn a lot because you know that if you put it over heat, it'll pop because that's what popcorn does. Mm. But you can't say at which point which kernel will pop or why. No. And some kernels, no matter how much heat you put them over, will never pop, but very few. Mm. Um, and some pop beef almost when the heat first comes on, and some don't pop until there's a critical mass. That's what working with people in this understanding is. And, and so my wife will sometimes say, if I'm down, my office is in my house, you know, if I'm with a client, you know, have they popped yet? Yes. Because she, she, she gets it. It's like, it's like, I just know how to put the heat on. Yes. And then the popcorn pops because that's what popcorn does, not because I'm brilliant at putting the heat on. And we're very much in the purpose conversation in this podcast. And by the sounds of things, listening to your story, it was almost like life was preparing you because obviously that is now your life's work. You talk to people about mm. the, the epiphany, so to speak. And it sounds like all the stuff that you were doing previously was leading up to that insight, which you've now dived into and obviously now have made your life's work. Well, it, it, it certainly feels like that. You know, I don't know if that's true, but it, 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 it feels like that. Certainly, everything that I had done before that, be, be, you know, training as an actor and, 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 and doing that and um, all the other things I'd studied, getting used to being in the field of coaching and, and developing a reputation in the field and actually having a couple of books already at the point that I had that epiphany um, that were based on my work up until that point, absolutely prepared me for this. Yeah. But is that why they happened? I don't know. I, I, d I just don't. I mean, honestly, maybe maybe life has had a purpose for me. I feel like I call it a soul path. Yes, perfect. Where it feels like yeah. your soul is laying the path in front of you one paving stone at a time. Yeah. Um, that's what it feels like. Mm. But, I, don't, I, but I, I, I just always kind of feel the need to say, I don't know if that's true, no. but that is absolutely my experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think our soul is always trying to get us on to that soul path you know and like you said it's almost like a breadcrumb trail you you do yeah. the next thing and then the next thing appears and then the next thing appears and slowly but surely before and if you know that and you see this is one of the things that i do with clients as a coach because i know it works that way i i can kind of it's obvious to me when they're trying too hard or or not doing what's there to be done because there, most people are acting as if it's to be, it's up to me. I've got to put the world on my back and carry it where I want it to go. And that's just, that, that is so the hard way to get anywhere in life. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So if you were coaching somebody now who was um, confused, maybe a little bit lost around their, why they're here and what they're supposed to be doing, like how would you support them? Well, I mean, we'd, we'd start just by having a chat and, and chilling out. Like, like it, it's most people, when they come to me, there's two things that are in their way. And one is they're preoccupied with something, mm. right? They're, they're obsessing over something. Maybe it is purpose. Maybe it is, you know, what am I supposed to do with my life? Is the, you know, my, my kids are at that age. 
right? Um, the, uh, you, you know, or, oh, I've got to solve this one problem before I can move forward. I've got to lose weight before I can start dating. I've got to make a certain amount of money before I can leave my job and start my business. I've got to, whatever it is. Mm. And I know that when they put that down, they'll come back to themselves. And then I'll have a, a person in front of me, not an obsession. Mm. Once I'm in a room with a person, we can have a conversation about how the mind works and how life works and, and how that impacts the things they want to do with their life. But there's no point having that conversation when they're still preoccupied. You know, now the second thing that's that's true of almost everyone that comes into my office is they vastly underestimate the power of the mind. Mm. And I don't mean it in a magical sense. I mean that if the brain is a supercomputer, the mind is the infinite internet. Literally, the answer to anything is in it whether you have any experience of it personally or not. And if you start to understand that, if you start to sense this incredible capacity we all have and what gets in the way of it, why we don't experience life that way all the time, it, it, it's remarkable the shift that engenders in people. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I think, yeah, I, I would agree with you. You kind of you have to empty people out because there's so much going on in their brains and their heads that you can't kind of get to the real them because and it'll settle down by itself i mean that's you know one of the reasons i tend to work with people over a few days initially as opposed to just an hour is 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 because it takes a little while to settle down and stay settled but once you do so much becomes obvious about yourself and about your life that just isn't obvious when you're in the noise and is this your inside out uh, philosophy as such well the the ins what i call the inside out understanding is 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 based on understanding a fundamental truth about human perception that we we think we live in the world of circumstances mm -hmm. in the feeling of circumstances mm -hmm. like this situation is scary this situation is sad this situation is exciting this situation is but we live in a world of thought. Yes. Yeah. We, 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 we are living in the feeling of thought, not the feeling of the world. Mm -hmm. So our experience is generated on the inside and then projected onto the world, onto the form. So that's what inside out means. We mm -hmm. live from inside to out. But then we experience it back through the senses. So it's like if the mind is a projector, we project the, the film of thought onto the screen of consciousness, mm -hmm. and then we watch the movie. Mm -hmm. And we experience the movie as if it's really happening, and it makes our heart beat when it looks scary, and it brings out our emotions when it looks sad. But it's all actually an experience of our own thought projected. But we act as though our mind is a camera, and what's happening is real, and our only choice is changing the way we look at it, changing our perspective, reframing it, whatever you want to do. Well, if you're the one who made the movie in the first place, getting better at coping with the movie isn't that helpful. 
So what do they do? What's that? What do they do? <laughs> what do we need to I, do? What, what, whatever they want. That's the beauty of it. <laughs> because look, it's the same thing. No, but you go to a, you go to a movie. You've got to have had this experience of being so caught up in a movie, like sobbing or terrified, and then somebody's cell phone goes off. Oh yeah, and it wakes you and up. All of a sudden, drops, yeah. You remember you're in a movie theater, and it totally wakes you up. Yeah, it's that. We are all living in those movies, but we don't know they're movies. We think they're real. Mm. And so what this conversation is, what the inside-out understanding is, is it wakes you back up. It's the cell phone going off in the movie. Mm. Now, the great thing about movies is it doesn't mean you can't enjoy them when you know they're movies, mm. right? You, most of the time, you know you go into a movie. That's why you enjoy it. So it doesn't mean we stop enjoying our experience. It just means we don't get as overwhelmed or overcome by it. We don't feel the need to do battle with the dragons that only exist in our movie. And to strengthen ourselves, to protect ourselves against those dragons. And all the things that people do psychologically, that actually, when you see what's really going on, why would I do that? Why would I need to be super strong to handle imaginary dragons? So nice, yeah, because I think we get so caught up in our stuff, don't we? That we get caught up in our thinking, we get caught up in the way we're seeing things, the way, like you said, you're projecting as such, or you're really living in that that moment. We forget that we can just step back and step out of it and be, what would be the word I would use? Well, observe it almost. Well, and... And again, I, I, I'm always very wary of it making it sound like you can do it by choice. Right? It's not an empowered choice. I choose to see myself because you do or you don't in any given moment. Mm. In any given moment, you're more or less aware of the nature of thought. You're more or less aware that you're living in a dream. Mm. You're more or less aware where your feelings are coming from. Mm. They're always coming from the same place. You're always in a dream. But you're, you're, it varies how aware of it. Now, when you're aware of it, you don't need to do anything because you're aware of it. Mm. When you're not aware of it, you can't do anything because you're not aware of it. Mm. If you're sort of aware of it, you can't do much because you're only sort of aware of it. So it really is about fostering an understanding, not developing a skill. Mm. Yeah, I have to When say you see it, it's done. Yes. It's like, oh, I'm in a movie. There's no practice for how to be in a movie. I'm in a movie. Got it. Yeah. And I would say um, my meditation practice has enabled me to be a lot more present to that, you know, because you hmm. see things happening and you see, you almost watch yourself, watch it happening, and then you choose what you want to react to, or you can almost delay the movie hmm. as such. Well and, I, well, and I think it's one of the two reasons that people meditate all over the world is, is one, it, it chills you out, right? So you're, it gets you underneath the noise. Your thought, your thinking tends to settle when you're meditating. And, and two, there are those moments in meditation when you feel the true self. You feel that deeper part of you. Mm. You feel that okayness, mm. that, that bit of you that was never born and can never die. Mm. And, and 
meditation isn't the only way to get there, but med- that's why people meditate. Mm. Like that's that's the pull. Yeah, definitely, because it gives you almost a freedom that you don't. Ex- I don't experience without doing it. So for people listening. <laughs> find a meditation practice <laughs> well or not i don't meditate okay um so so that's why i say absolutely that's why people meditate but mm-hmm. meditation is not the only way to experience it Me- the way i think about meditation is meditation is a description of a state of mind of 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 stillness of inner quiet inner inner silence How you get to that state of mind varies. So some people have a meditation practice, which is what they do to access that state of mind. Mm. What I've found is that through this understanding, people wind up living in states of meditation naturally more of the time because thought doesn't look the same to them. Mm. Thought doesn't look that real anyway, so Mm. they don't tend to get caught up in it. So they don't need a practice to get out of it. Okay, interesting. So it's not it's this it's it's the same aim to spend more of your time in these kind of more open, accessible, deeper states of mind, because people function better there. Yeah. The less you have on your mind, the better you do. Yes. But it's doing it without a particular practice, because people have an interesting relationship with practice. It works wonderful for some people. And everyone else beats themselves up because they can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, true. Wonderful. And tell us about, you mentioned before we came on air, about a new program that you are running. Oh, well, it's not a new program, but I, I've been running a program since 2009 called Creating the Impossible. And, and the book just came out. Hey yes. House just brought out wow. the book version, uh, which is called Creating the Impossible, a 90-day program to get your dreams out of your head and into the world. Perfect for our audience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. As a coach, I've worked with so many people over the years, literally thousands of people, who have had the same dream for ages or who say they don't have a dream, but you can see their eyes kind of go to a faraway place before they say it, Mm. which just lets you know, oh, they've shut it down. They've clamped down on it for some reason. And, And I just think it's a shame because I think the reason people do that is they don't understand how creativity works. They don't understand that everything comes from nothing. So not having anything, not knowing how you're going to do it, isn't a problem. That's, that's how it works. And so the whole book is there to help people see in a very practical way on a practical project. Oh, I don't need to know how it's going to work. I don't need to believe it's going to work. I don't need to believe in myself for it to work. I just need to start. Yeah. And then I need to follow the breadcrumbs. Yeah. I was just about to say that because I think, you know, we, we're we in a similar conversation because of the purpose conversation. People get so busy and caught up in it, they don't even start. And what you're saying is you just start and then the next piece of the puzzle comes in. Yeah. And, and if you know that, you can dive in with abandon. Mm. If you don't know that, it seems scary. Yes. And and so it's it's just one of those things. Once you see it, it's like, oh, it's just this again. Yeah. 
yeah it, and it's and it's so it's like a muscle isn't it like I, I found that you know just, I don't know doing the podcast doing the coaching doing all the things that I now do and I take for granted because I've done them for quite a period of time they didn't start like that you know they were scary and intimidating to start with but the action one foot in front of the other makes it easier uh, and then yeah and, and it's funny because you know it isn't the same for everyone in the sense that for some people it it's really fun at the beginning and they don't find it scary at all but then it gets to feel like work and then they stop mm. but that's part of the process is the bit where it goes from inspiration to perspiration from a great idea to doing the work that's part of the game too Mm. You, you know so it, it's people have an idea that either some people have an idea that it doesn't count unless it's really hard other people have the idea that it it's not worth doing if it isn't really easy to my mind the question is what do you want to create mm. and you'll find out how hard or easy it is along the way mm. yes and i think most people don't even get that far because no, they right. stay in their head because you know and that's where coaches come in isn't it because they are someone to support you and to help you facilitate what is inside outside um, and we all need a yeah, and, mo mo and mo most people think that, that what they're missing is discipline like that's the most common thing people say mm. in a way they don't say it like this but what, they're say, what they say to me is, hey, I'd like to hire you to, to make me do what I don't want to do. To which I go, why on earth would you do anything you don't want to do? Mm. Like, if, if you don't want to create something, don't create it. Mm. If there's something that you think has to be done about creation that you don't want to do, then there's probably another way to do it that you would want to do. Mm. So, so this idea that it's my, it's my bad, the reason I'm feeling this way is because there's an, a block in me, it's self-sabotage, there's all of that stuff that you hear. You're human. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it isn't true in my experience. Everybody has doubts. Everybody gets nervy. Everybody tries things that don't work. Like, that's not a big deal. Mm. The big deal is you think it's a big deal, so you, you stop going anywhere while you work on yourself. I've been around some of the most creative people in the, well, certainly in, in, in America, in Hollywood, but, but actually all over the world. I got to tell you, psychologically, most of them are a mess. Mm. But boy, can they create cool shit in the world. Mm. Now, I'm all for both. I'm all for getting your head together as well as creating. Mm. But you don't have to have your head together in order to create. You just have to be able to get out of it long enough to go create something. Mm. Yeah, and I think in my experience of creating, you know, you won't necessarily have, you might have a vision and an idea, but you won't necessarily know all the pieces of the puzzle. You just, you know. Right, whereas, whereas if people learn to goal set and, you know, it all makes it sound like it should be so logical and you should see the path. Well, creating doesn't work that way. Because what you're creating doesn't already exist, so there isn't a path. Mm, you're literally bringing it into being. Mm. So it makes sense that you can't see how, because mm. it's invisible. Mm. Yeah, and I've just experienced that myself, because I'm launching my own course in uh, May, Do Your Dharma course, and it, it's like it's been drip-fed 
to me the pieces and mm-hmm. um, I did I knew what I wanted to do the end goal but I didn't necessarily know all the, all the bits in between uh, and it's taken a year for it almost to be downloaded and for the for the puzzle to be completed <laughs> and, and, and that's how it all worked we just had a, a I, I teach a, a super coach academy which is this a training program for coaches for you know transformative coaches and we had a guy on one of the master classes yesterday and he's he, he was the head of design for a big company he left the company to start his own company and his entire description of the creative process mm. is exactly what we're saying i mean this is a, a top designer has got a company a, a major new product line and he said, yeah, we just knew what we wanted to see and we wanted to be part of bringing it into the world because it didn't exist. Mm. Like that's how it works. Mm. Wonderful. And that's why, that's, see, people have these little goals that they think they can pull off. Well, if you can pull it off, it's, it's not even, you don't even need a goal. Like if I want to go to the shop, I don't need to set a goal of going to the shop. I just go to the shop. Right. The, the, the only reason we kind of set goals is things that are beyond us, beyond what we think we can do. Mm. And that's when you start to learn about this creative force that comes through us. That's where you start to learn about this mm. unfolding or drip feeding or however you experience it. Mm. That's the norm. It's 100 percent reliable. It's mm. just 98 percent unpredictable what form it will take. Mm. And we shouldn't necessarily try and cap, you know, try and. Because I think what comes through is usually hundredfold what we expect. You know, we can't necessarily describe it because it's usually yeah. much better than we anticipate. What, what, one of the one of the just beautiful moments that happened in one of the academy trainings back this was probably back years ago, twenty twelve or something. We had a a, a guy we, we used to call Mister President because he was in the military and he just was a guy that you hope one day will grow up and want to be president. <laughs> just a good guy all the way around. But he held himself to an impossibly high standard. Like he was always down on himself. And, and, and one day it just occurred to me to say to him, oh, I think I see what the problem is. You think you're in charge. You think you're the pilot. Mm. But you're not the pilot, you're the plane. We're, 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 we are the vehicle for this creative force. Mm. We, we aren't in charge of where it goes we can take it we can hijack it mm. right we can take it over and fly it somewhere else yeah but that's not the design that's not what we're meant to be doing that's not how it's set up no. i think I, I that would be that going back on your soul path you know that that is the soul yeah. that is you're the vehicle effectively for what it is you want your soul wants yeah, and you have free will you can say no i will not do what would deeply fulfill me and make the world a better place i want to do this and you can and it's hard and it's a struggle but you can do it mm. and the second you let go that little prompting will yeah. come back yeah that little nudge yeah. and this time maybe you'll follow it yeah it's like the gps right the gps doesn't care how many times you ignore it it doesn't get louder when you don't turn where it tells you to turn. Mm. It just says recalculating, and it gives you a different way to get there from where you are now. And I and I have also experienced it where I've ignored it. You know, I've not ignored the GPS, and I've ignored my intuition. I've ignored my soul. And you can only ignore it for so long before the universe takes corrective ac- ac- you know, action. And depending yeah. on how much you're ignoring it, I, I've experienced bigger <laughs> recorrections. <laughs> right. 
Which, which in a funny way makes you it takes you off the hook even more because even if you never listen, life's going to do it for you. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so you're off the hook. Like, like, yeah, it'll probably more be more pleasant if you tune in earlier and listen and follow. But you know, you can wait. It'll get you there anyway. And we are. That's exactly what we're doing with our podcast, Michael. Is to try and get people on that soul path as quick as possible. Um, so they don't have to struggle and they don't have to experience that pain. But Well, I prefer that away. I mean, <laughs> I've got to be honest. I've, I've tried both. You know. <laughs> oh, Michael, thank you so much. I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you. What a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you coming on Kitty Talks, sharing your story and your knowledge. I know this conversation will have been of real value to our listeners. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And we will have all of Michael's details in the show notes. Uh, so you will be able to find him, follow him, and obviously all the details of his new book, Creating the Impossible. So please do connect with him. And we will see you again next week on Kitty Talks. Bye-bye. This podcast was sponsored by my Do Your Dharma course. Create a life so good that you pinch yourself. This eight-week online course demystifies Dharma and shows you how to tune in to why you're really here. Go to www.kittytalks.com forward slash do your Dharma.